0: Say my name, Eisenberg. You're goddamn right. Yeah, bitch! Magnets! Oh!
1: I am not in danger, Skyler. I am the danger. A guy opens his door and gets shot, and you think that of me? No. I am the one who knocks. Look over what do you the man see? provides...
0: does it, even when he's not appreciated,
1: or respected,
0: or even loved.
1: He simply bears it up, and he does it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Director's Club podcast. I am Jim Laskowski. Patrick has the night off. Um, I'm sure he will be catching up on the show we're going to be discussing soon enough, and he'll share his opinions on a future episode. But um, we need to talk about one of the most significant pieces of television I've ever seen. Uh, A show that was thematically rich, remained thrilling and nail-biting, compelling as hell, just able to stimulate new ideas and theories and a plethora of emotions, a bottomless well of provocation for... A lot of reasons. It is ahead of the curve when it comes to television. It is going to be talked about for years and years and years to come. It's brought so many friends together uh, watching it on Netflix. Uh, it's it's culturally significant, and we need to talk about it at length, and I could not do that alone. You might remember him from the uh, Wachowskis episode, and uh, David Fincher. Couldn't be happier to have him back. Welcome Ren Brown of Chud.com.
0: Thank you, sir. You are too kind.
1: Absolutely. Uh, so are you mo- still mostly just uh, writing for Chud these days, or are there other outlets here?
0: Uh, yeah, yeah. My, my writing is all still 100% at Chud. Cool. cool. Uh,
1: well, I'm thrilled that you're joining us, or joining me, I should say, for a shorter bon- bonus episode in which we can sort of dissect our thoughts on what I consider to be my favorite show of all time, uh, and that is Breaking Bad.
0: Uh, Absolutely, I, I'm very. I was very pleased to, to get the call. It's a uh, it's a rich topic to talk about, and uh, you know, I didn't I didn't really want to add to the the glut of editorials and stuff coming out right after it. Uh, right after it aired, I kind of wanted to process it for myself. So it, it's it's nice timing to be able to chew on it a little bit.
1: Yeah, um, you know, there are people instantly writing their thoughts and you know that's that's the world we live in today with blogging and twitter and it's really interesting to see immediate reactions but it's also kind of nice to even just take a week or so to process it um you know obviously i'm gonna check out a couple of write-ups or listen to a couple podcasts discuss it as well and share my reaction to their reaction and you know that's Ever since uh you know, Lost when I was listening to like, you know, three <laughs> Lost podcasts uh discuss theories on what was going on, it's it's sort of been a really, you know, cool component of podcasting to uh you know have a sense of community with people who who are really invested in something and you may not be able to like share an active dialogue back and forth, but uh you know, in terms of just absorbing more information and more ideas uh, you know, Breaking Bad is, not, is it's a show that I think can be viewed in a very simple manner where it's, you know, it from point A to point B to point C, this character did this and this did that, but there's so much under the surface uh, in terms of, you know, a morality tale and uh, even just the general public's reaction to it and how, uh, all you know, everybody became a fan <laughs> after a while. Or the uh, sort of weird backlash to Skyler's character, and you know, and a gun having frustrating backlash. uh, Agreed. Yeah. So we'll we'll bring that up probably in the midst of our conversation. So um, the finale aired, um, and you know, one of our more successful bonus episodes is when we talked about the season four finale, which contains one of the most memorable deaths of a villain I have ever seen. No Um, doubt. And, you know, first and foremost, much like we did at the beginning of that uh, bonus episode, it'd be nice to go over again how the show kind of found us and how we got addicted to it and what it means to us. Uh, I always sort of go back to my (laughs) first exposure to the show um just even a name form as being a DVD review in Paste magazine, in which I said to myself, What the what what the hell is the dad from Malcolm in the Middle doing with a gun in his hands wearing only a t shirt and tidy whities? Uh you know, the the DVD cover art literally just showed that uh, memorable shot from, from the pilot and I had no idea what to make of what it was at all. Um you know, AMC is isn't the net wasn't the network then that it is now in terms of producing this incredible content and almost being like h b o the sequel um but that first season went completely under my radar, and reading the review and paste was like intriguing because the premise i can see uh you know being a little relatable even though obviously we're not all about to become meth cooks I just think that in times of struggle or uh, being faced with uh, a disease of some kind that's life-threatening, you you, you tend to be uh, a little bit more audacious in, in what you do. You tend to just throw caution to the wind and r- be more reactionary
0: because, you know, life could end at any minute. Um, yeah, it's but, amazing how, considering how dark and deep the, mm-hmm. the show went down its own well, how... Just perfectly simple, the, the original pitch for it is, and how anybody could just kind of give you the elevator pitch concept of it. You know, guy gets cancer, cooks meth. Like, it's such an immediately grabbing hook. Uh, and comparing that to just the, the richness and the layers on which the show works, it's it's not surprising that it kind of, you know, hooked to that passionate group at the beginning.
1: Yeah, and the ratings weren't necessarily there, and I know that... Uh... You know, the first season occurred, and you know the reason it shortened, like a lot of TV seasons that uh, that year, was because of the writers' strike, right. um, and they weren't necessarily sure if it was going to reach an audience, despite its incredibly cool premise. And uh, I just, I just think that you know, as you know, questionable a, a character and as complex of a character as Walter White is. Uh, you know, the fact that like, you know, he starts off as a regular Joe and, you know, I mean, I know Vince Gilligan said initially, well, the, you know, the hook basically is we're going to turn Mr. Chips and turn him into Scarface. Um, and you know, again, with the finale by the end, I, I think one of the interesting reactions I heard was, um, it wasn't dark enough or it wasn't necessarily like Walter White became Scarface he still you know got back in touch with his humanity he was a redeeming figure so to speak in you know his selflessness for once Uh, you know him acknowledging that he was you know selfish in the past and I think that was something that we've all been waiting to see like that moment of self-actualization and realization that you know what I fucked up and I got to come to terms with that. And, you know, even if it means sacrificing myself, because I think part of him knew that things were going to go down the way they did. Um, but what really drives breaking bad for me is just how compelling it is to watch the slow deterioration of, of someone's soul in ways that are introspective at times or explosive. And that contrast is captured really well. And, what could be my favorite episode of the series? Uh, Ozzy uh, Mandius, which is the third to last, in which Ryan Johnson directed the hell out of a completely hellish um, set of circumstances for everyone involved. It that an incredible uh,
0: hour of television. Um, yeah,
1: everybody agrees that is in the upper tier of episodes, and certainly uh, well-paced. But just you know the the. The, the drama and the tension and the violence that erupts. But, you know, for me, that that phone call that Walt makes to Skyler at the end of that episode is, you know, sort of speaks volumes about, uh you know, because I think a lot of people were taking it at face value and thinking, like, that is his genuine reaction, and other people were saying, like, oh, well, he knew the cops were there, so he was playing it up um, so Skyler wouldn't get in as much trouble that he was all, you know, the center of this, um, you know, crime plot, so to speak, Um, and, you know, I think that's what's interesting about the show, too, is, like, you can interpret moments like that differently depending on who you are, Um, but, you know, there there are a lot of moments where, you know, Walt is completely devoid of humanity, and uh, his... You know, empathy is sort of buried just in favor of having his own needs met in hopes of just acquiring more control and power in a world where he feels powerless. I think if you watch even just the pilot, there are, you know, moments of emasculation, you know, and I think that is also a central theme to the show of a man who feels displaced and he's. You know, with or without the cancer, he's kind of lost, and he's not necessarily depressed, but he's just unsure of himself in the midst of everything. And he wants a name. Like, if you watch the pilot, you see like Hank is almost the rock star, and everybody's worshiping him because he has this awesome line of work, and he takes you know down bad guys, and he's sort of worshipped in that regard. Even at, even at Walt's birthday party, people are still, like, gravitating more towards Hank. Um, and Walter is just tired of being on the sidelines. So what is his talent? What can he do to stand out? Um, and that sort of sets up the whole premise of the show. And, you know, throughout each season, there may have been, like, a couple of bumps in the road, but never, like, a... Even just a full episode where I was like, "Well, that didn't work." I I think it's been one of the most consistent television shows I've ever seen.
0: Yeah, undoubtedly. I mean, I think what I what I love about the show, and this is this is carried through to the very end, and uh, including the final episode, and and observing the reaction people have to it, is that the show is so striking and compelling and confident that it has that feeling of an auteur resulting show where, you know, people give Vince Gilligan and, you know, to varying degrees of, to varying degrees you give Michael Slovis and the DP and Brian Cranston credit and, you know, various writers on the show. But, uh, you know, a lot of credit gets laid at Vince Gilligan's feet for it being his show and his concept and it having that kind of almost literary novel feeling because it's just so cogent so consistent all the way through with this, this beautiful voice that the show has. But it really is such a huge collaboration, and it's one of those things where they have self-admittedly reverse-engineered things to work and developed themes that they necessarily didn't necessarily anticipate. So even though the show has this very cohesive voice and is so definitive, it's also layered with ambiguities and you can look at it a lot of different ways, which I think is where you've you get the you gotten the tension between, you know, I hate what I saw on the internet, but of, you know, Team Walt and Team Skyler and people that believed, you know, that Walt was ultimately doing this for his family and that he was the badass and that, you know, all the things challenging him in the show were traditional antagonists and that ultimately he was going to win out Versus people who thought this literally was just the slow unpeeling of the devil, mm-hmm. uh, you know, beneath human skin. And I think the the show as a whole, and I think the ending, uh, did what I always appreciate, which is met those two concepts in the middle. Like the, I, I don't believe you can definitively put it either way. I think Walt, Walter White, or Heisenberg, or however you want to put it, uh, however you want to phrase him, is is a is a dual being, dual being. And, uh, the, the most interesting interpretations of the show for me that I've read or felt myself or seen are not the binary ones that choose one or the other or condemn Mm -hmm. or Walter or seek his, his retribution. And yeah, I mean that, that is the core thing about this show that makes it one of the all timers for me.
1: Yeah. I, I completely agree with that. I think it's, um, it can be looked at as almost, you know, the the gray area or gray matter, if you will, rather than anything black or white. Like you, you brought up the uh, you know duality theme, and it's interesting even just rewatching uh, a month ago, A History of Violence, and seeing parallels with, you know, a, a, a guy who's torn, you know, between embracing. The monster in him that he almost you know wants to acknowledge, especially when it's called for you know it's when you know people are attacking his family, why shouldn't he erupt into violent gangster mode because it's Absolutely. That,
0: is a, that is a great that is a great uh movie to bring up that's a great comparison that I had not considered to this point, but that would make a you can't really double feature with hour 64 hours or 64 (laughs) hours of television or whatever uh but those are definitely two peas in a pod
1: yeah i mean it's it's tapping again into um you know the, the the nature of who we are and not necessarily like you know speaking directly but just it's all based on the actions and how things are playing out rather than the themes being prominent i mean it's i think most people can pick up on the uh you know contrast between Heisenberg and Walt obviously but um you know people were just and it could and it could just simply be a preference like maybe there are people who want to see Walt you know uh, coming full you know with guns blazing and becoming Rambo or Scarface with with the machine gun but there's no way you know i mean he's he's still Walter White he's got cancer he is not going to become Mr. Invincible Heisenberg at all times, but he's still got, you know, the the knowledge to even just come up with something like that contraption in the trunk. You know, I mean, even in the face of death, you know, Hank was like, Walt, you're one of the smartest guys I know. And that's the thing, like, his intelligence really carried him pretty far, and even Jesse acknowledged, too, that, like, oh, a lot of that's luck. But I never felt there was um, anything contrived outside of maybe... Uh, and it's probably just because Lost really hit home on causality and just, oh, you know, if you do this one little thing, it'll affect this other thing and this other thing, you know, the domino effect uh, of, you know, every action has a consequence and you got to pay attention to who you're talking to and what you're saying and all that stuff. Um, and I think... I, although I do love the finale of, um, I, I want to say it's season two. Um, it might be season three, actually, but where um, uh, Jane dies. And I think that's that's a very crucial moment for Walt to, you know, not help. And I think he, again, sort of proves that he can be a sociopath. Um, and, you know, I think the only thing that kind of rubbed me the wrong way initially was, like, Choosing to incorporate the airplane crash in the midst, like of a more intimate story with just a few characters, and just deciding to have like his actions be the result of the uh, the plane crash. Um, you know, it's not something that made me right off the show then and there, or made me question whether I was going to be on board. It was just it, it felt very lost esque um, rather than being distinctively Breaking Bad to me.
0: Yeah, I can, I can. That's, uh, I'm not, uh, I did not follow Lost uh, the first season for no real reason in particular. I just, uh, the timing of it in terms of me being in school and college and stuff, I just didn't follow it. Uh, But uh, I think, I understand what you're saying, and I've I've seen that stated before, and I think it's entirely valid. Uh, But the way the show kind of, uh, I guess, reacted to that moment and built up to it, really works for me, I think, largely because it, it kind of it establishes the stakes in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it draws a line in the sand for the show um, and kind of marks a point at which the tone shifts a little bit or at least the, the, the propulsiveness of it escalates. Uh, and from there, you know, you can almost mark that as one of the many points where there's no going back for the show, if not the characters, because the characters are offered you know, opportunities here and there. Uh, but for the show itself, that's when it kind of took on the mantle, I think, of driving towards something specific. And mm-hmm. like you said, the I don't know, there's something really potent to me about just blowing up an entire plane full of people to, to make that causality point, to do that yeah. butterfly effect thing, to... Again, it, it very early in the series, or relatively early in the series, it draws that line in the sand. Where if you're thinking that what Walt is doing is a romanticized thing, relatively detached from the results of you know meth production and everything, because uh, you know we we see you see a limited amount of meth use, and you know it's not a full on Godfather like detached crime versus uh, effect show, but that is the point at which, you know, you start talking about bigger moral things. It's not just, is this chemistry teacher making money off the suffering of, you know, shitty meth heads on the street, and it's more becomes a, a you know, a, a bigger tale. It becomes biblical. It becomes, hmm. you know, allegorical in a sense, you know. Yeah, it, it definitely
1: heightens the morality play. That, you know, it, it kind of has always been, and I I think you know, the themes are kind of set up early on, especially when he's diagnosed with cancer and decides not to, um, you know, tell his family or think about them at first, you know, because when the whole family is, you know, in the living room, basically pleading with him to get treatment, and he outright says at first that he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to suffer. He, you know, is willing to accept that this is his fate, uh, rather than intervene, and I thought, well, that's, you know, kind of Walt in a nutshell, too. It's like he's uh, almost oblivious to those around him and what they hope for him. He's only... he's become very... he he's always been kind of self-serving, you know? I think we we do sort of see a uh, de, de-evolution, you know, in, in terms of how low he can go and everything, but, you know, early on you know, obviously he's lacks self-awareness. He's in denial. He's not willing to, like, even just when he's the doctor diagnoses him with cancer, he's choosing to focus on a mustard stain on the, on the Absolutely. doctor, you know? Um,
0: um, I got to say, and that leads to, I think, probably my favorite moment of the show, or at least, you know, high up in there, is uh, the moment at which he finds out that his cancer is in remission and uh Mm. that strange sense of detachment and anger when that dawns on him that he is now accountable for everything that he has done and he will continue to be uh, there's so much in that in that moment and uh, if i'm you know if i'm not recalling things incorrectly you know he beats up the the paper towel dispenser and everything and, and you have that wonderful moment where it's like, all right, now we have a series, and now we have, you know, this has gone beyond the initial concept, and we're moving into to something more. And I think that's a great moment or an episode to kind of contrast with the or and compare to the finale, uh, because you you kind of have to think those are those are the two potential endings of the show or of this story of Walter White. There was either his cancer didn't go in remission and he spiraled into death from there and his initial actions would have been kind of the long and short of it, or you have the secondary one where his cancer goes into remission, he has to account for these things and the, the the train keeps on rolling until you know it flies off the cliff and he is ultimately left with what he's left with at the end of the show um, mm-hmm. which is, you know, different people interpret uh, as different as varying degrees of punishment or retribution for the character, but you know those are those are kind of two moments I think that that sit next to each other in an interesting way.
1: Yeah, for sure. I you know it's interesting that uh, you know early on cancer is you know could be seen as his uh, you know, uh, his scapegoat or his justification for doing what he does, and obviously the medical bills are piling up and. You know, that, that, that's where I think, like, you know, anyone who's, you know, dealt with long hospital stays or, or, or treatments for something can understand why somebody might, especially with that talent, and if they could get away with it and they managed to, uh, you, you know, obviously it, it sort of, um, you know, disengages your morality, but at the same time you can empathize to some degree, despite the fact that well he you know killed crazy eight in the basement pretty early on he he knew he had it in him because it was all about self preservation right um, and I think that's you know the show really
0: i mean the show really gives him a back door on most of his kind of uh more evil insidious acts for mm-hmm. pretty deep into the show, yeah uh, um I mean honestly, it's hard to think of any moment in the entirety of the show where there isn't some level of, of justification even you know Jane obviously uh, being I think the that might be the single most despicable act, but even there it's so it's early enough in his arc that you know, and again, I, I haven't seen that moment in a while, so you know I, I could have an entirely different. Interpretation of it when I when I rewatch it, uh, but you know he seems almost, as I recall, as shocked with himself for what he's doing. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's there's still like that, that that just slight tint of remorse of of shock at what he's doing, uh, as opposed to being an outright cruel psychopath, which in some levels comes later.
1: Yeah, he's he's not like Todd, you know, where he's you know kind of passive or Unemotional to doing these things. That's why, like, I've always been saying that he has just, you know, a modicum of humanity. Sometimes it's just, you know, too far gone because it depends on the circumstances that he's in. But um, I think, you know, the reason for him, you know, doing a lot of these horrible things, including letting Jane die, was because he always knew that he needed Jesse on his side and he needed. A partner that he can rely on or you know in most cases manipulate like you knew jesse would always do what he's told because you know if it's something you know you can read into that in many ways you could say like well jesse lacked uh, a central father figure that he could be you know comfortable around and uh it, but at the same time You know, it's interesting to you know know that like the creators weren't too keen on Jesse at at the very beginning. Like they sort of wrote his character as a one episode arc, but then their chemistry together uh, no pun intended
0: (laughs) don't don't lie every pun intended yeah fully intended
1: I know that's that's who I am. Um, But but, you know they just worked so well together. Uh, You know, as characters as actors they they make a one of the most memorable duos in TV history. Um, but, you know, I, I think, again, to see in the finale Jesse sort of own his individuality and decide I'm not going to let Walt tell me what to do this time. I'm not going to let him manipulate me again. And this is something that has needed to happen for him. Um, and I'm I not think,
0: providing his out.
1: Right. Well, yeah, I, I get like it's it's a moment of self actualization, which is what you know both of them needed, and for Walt to finally admit to Skyler of all people that hey, I was doing this for myself. I felt alive. You know, it was almost like uh, an addiction for him to have this kind of control and power over Jesse, or you know, even someone like that was the that was the thing is like you know he met his match with Gus. Like he's like I'm there's just no way I'm going to be able to you know, con him the way I've with other people. And I think that's ultimately why he's like, I, I got to get rid of this guy because he's just never going to succumb in the way um, someone like Jesse has. And I think that's what's been one of the most tragic things. And some people even said, especially early on in, um, in, in the second part of the season, Jesse like, he, he's gone through some dark, heavy trauma as a result of doing things for Walt. And to see him go through this horrible cycle of remorse and either shutting down or getting lost in drugs, um, it was difficult to see a lot um, because you wanted him to break free of that. And I think one of the more exciting things about this last season was the moments where he did take control over Walt, where he's like, well, even if it means siding with the DEA, uh, I'm going to manipulate Walt this time. I'm going to make him see that I have some control over the situation, too.
0: Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting in the way that in Jesse's, you know, continuing search for a father figure, you know, Hank ends up being another kind of thoughtless controlling yep. patriarchal force in Jesse's life that ultimately is just using him for the ends uh, that you know and largely in a, in a similar if less insidious manner than than Walt did you know uh, the you have these vying father figures and of course Mike you know fits into that chain as well mm-hmm. and that tragedy for for Jesse kind of Largely powering him and his motivation through the the last season of the show um, in a really interesting way. And uh, before we get past it, I, I was thinking of the Jane moment. Uh, what I find interesting about that is that it's a very parental moment for me, and that sounds awful mm. to to compare uh, you know parenting to to murder. But <laughs> if you if you think about the the disdain and the vitriol and the outright hatred that is just kind of expected from father figures and mothers for you know romantic interests of their sons and daughters and they kind of, you know, meet the meet the date with the shotgun kind of mentality. You know, that's you know not too far away from you know Walt and Jesse and when Jane enters the picture and Walt has no understanding of Jane's depth as a person. She is merely, you know, a, a potential threat, mm-hmm. not only of his control of Jesse, but for Jesse himself. So it, it, it that moment feels one of the most parental in the show because you have to imagine a lot of parents out there, whether they would, uh, you know, admit it or not or be put in this kind of situation, would be absolutely happy to see, you know, Whatever dangerous character their son or daughter has gotten involved with, you know, find a way to disappear or you know just not be a problem anymore. Oh, yeah. Especially when you're faced with that challenge of any any amount of friction I add to this is simply going to to make them more interested in pursuing the relationship. That's that's a, that's a similar dynamic, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can imagine between Walt and Jesse.
1: Well, I haven't interpreted it that way. That's really interesting. I think. um, I think also, you know, plot-wise, she was, um, you know, trying to get Jesse to um, get, you know, I think they were trying to extort, Walt, uh, you know, some money right. from Walt at that point, too. Um, so it it kind of made sense, I guess, in that regard, too, for Walt to do what he did. But, you know, that's a really interesting perspective because of the uh, father figure angle that's... You know, kind of yeah, always been there to the point where Jesse is like, "You're not my father." You know, yeah, it's
0: not a definitive reading, but it's just a—it's a shade, mm-hmm. even in maybe just Brian Cranston's performance or the way the scene is staged, or yeah. you know, with Jesse being asleep and so passive in that moment. He's—he's he's present, he's there, but you know, he's—he's he's passed out. He's—he's he's a delicate, unaware presence. So that—that that strange dynamic in that room when the moment happens, kind of gives it that shade to me.
1: Yeah, I, you know, one of the most powerful moments of the show, you know, I, like, seeing Walt vulnerable in any context is pretty moving, but, uh, you know, uh, he misses Walt Jr.'s birthday, and um, this was the uh, day after Jesse beat the shit out of Walt because Walt had been... Uh, Spying on him, trying to figure out if he was going to kill Gus or not, and uh, you know they got into a huge fight, and then he wound up taking some Vicodin, and you know Walt Jr. shows up at his house and is like, "Where are? Where have you been?" And Walt has a breakdown, like he actually cries and shows his vulnerability right in front of Walt Jr. and he's embarrassed, and it's like a whole other side of Walt that we rarely get to see that I think tapped in some real emotional truth and even he decides uh later on to share a story about his own father and watching him die in the hospital and he doesn't want that for Walt Junior. Like, you know, that that sort of familiar, you know the, the family ties there really take hold and that you because know, 'cause I'm always surprised to to think of you know Walter White is being this neglectful father because I I always thought especially at the beginning he is trying to think of well how can I provide for my family because I can't provide the way you know Gretchen and Elliot can you know he sees their fancy house in the first season and he's jealous um, and he wants to be you know uh, a little bit higher up. <laughs> in terms of fatherhood and uh, being a provider, and I think that can be relatable for a lot of people who have a lower income, and you know they can't get all the things that their kids need and want, and that also continuously comes back and forth with Walt purchasing you know a, a fancy car for Walt Jr. He wants to impress him. Absolutely. Uh, so I think you're 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 onto something there by focusing on him. Uh, like, almost having, you know, a projection of fatherhood onto Jesse and wanting to be protective of him, despite, you know, doing horrible things and to manipulate him. And he's done that time and time again, and it's sad to see. And it, to see, like, somebody as impressionable as Jesse constantly succumb to him. And I think the moments in this final, um... Episode were incredibly moving because you know you, it could have gone a, a, a myriad of ways. You know, I'm sure Vince Gilligan and the writers in the writers' room were always like saying, "Well, we can go this way, we can go down this road," and you know, certainly Jesse could have killed Walt, and maybe that would have been satisfying for some people. But then again, it it actually fits better for
0: Jesse, like that's his arc. Right I, I, and I'm definitely someone in desperate need of, of rewatching the series as a whole. Oh, I definitely, uh, I'm definitely will soon. Yeah, I'm, 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 I think I might be most interested in viewing it uh, with the lens of watching for, for those kind of themes of fatherhood and stuff, because, uh, you know, the show gets a lot of credit, and it gets unpacked in a lot of ways, and I think the, the central argument has always been about Walt and his soul, and... Whether this is a show about nature versus nurture, if you know Walt was always a demon and these circumstances brought it out, or if he was a normal guy with normal insecurities like anybody, and he was taken to this place that anybody could be taken, you know, I think that is a compelling, interesting thing that it, it drives the show and has taken over the discourse. And even Walt's relationship with Skyler, with Jesse, with Holly, you know, all these things, um, and Jesse's relationship with his father figures, but. There's a lot kind of riding under the surface between Walt and Walt Jr. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you look at it as a whole, that makes the, their final moment in the, the finale yeah. one of the most haunting. Uh, and I kind of mean that literally. I think, uh, I don't know if Gilligan has said this, but to me, uh, it seems like he directed the finale uh, from the perspective of Walter being a gro- is, is presented as a ghost uh, yeah. throughout, throughout most of the episode. His presence is... Extremely ghost like the way he moves in and out of environments that you wouldn 't necessarily expect him to be able to get in and out of the way people do not notice or acknowledge him until he engages with the scene um, and that 's most you know spelled out when he he takes a look, he goes and just watches uh, Walt Jr at school and those interesting costume choices of the the camo pants and the boots and the way it's reflected in that window, and walks out of focus, and the whole the whole thing you know that's one of the most tragic, compelling, quiet images of the finale. That you know I think it might be one of the real keys to unpacking the show for people on future viewings.
1: Yeah, I was definitely surprised by how quiet it was. Um, I mean, I'm like I said, I am completely a hundred percent satisfied with the finale, and. At the same time, and I've heard this on other uh, reviews and podcasts, there wasn't any, like, giant revelations or surprises either, um, which I don't think was necessary at the same time.
0: That uh, is, in fact, my absolute favorite, most favorite thing about the finale.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, it was, you know, character-centric, and you, you bring up an interesting point, because now I'm rethinking, like, even just the scene where Walt uh, exits... Holly's room, he doesn't really say anything to Skylar, like, goodbye, or, you know, he just literally, like, floats out of the room, almost.
0: And then she's left sitting there contemplating. Yeah. Like, that. Yeah. she could have been standing in that same position doing that same thing if he had never come.
1: Yeah, that's, hmm, that's really interesting. I wonder if those theories are floating out there. That's, um, but, you know, obviously a huge you know, catharsis, if you will, but just, like, one of those moments where I I felt like applauding, you know, what can you say about, you know, him coming up with that incredible gadget with
0: the machine gun and... Getting just having- a little bit of a, yeah, bitch, science in yeah. there at the end.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. His moment of glory there felt so good because, you know, despite all the horrible things he's done... I I still wanted him to have some efficacy, some just a minor victory because I knew like he wasn't going there to kill Jesse. I I you know I, I I still sense like especially after all this time in between, uh you know, him making that phone call and leaving Holly behind, he had a lot of time to himself. You know, in that cabin uh you know, Robert Forrester showing him up showing up and it got to the point where Walt's like, Can you please stay? I'm lonely <laughs> You know yeah. Um He I'm sure just sort of realized, you know what, I'm I, I can still be Walter White and you know, put Heisenberg to bed but obviously uh I have to go out with a moment of glory. I have to do something that you know shows that I was here. You know, especially yeah, after he sees Gretchen and Elliot on Charlie Rose, he just knows that he has to do something, and that's where he comes up with his pretty cool plan to make sure um, his kids get some money too.
0: For sure, and that, and honestly, that is why Granite State, kind of in conjunction with Ozymandias, Mandius, but Granite State has kind of loomed largest in my mind of this season, hmm. and I think may end up being one of my favorite shows because. And this is this speaks to why I think the, the ending is so brilliant, uh, even though it doesn't do anything that you know people necessarily didn't expect or anything, and that's because the the show largely ends with Ozymandias. That's the episode. I mean, so you know, Gilligan and ev- the cast and everybody pointed to that without shame that that is the that's the episode where the shit goes down, where point and no return. That is the largely the punctuation mark on the show mm-hmm. that wraps up. The grand strands. And what I love about Granite State, and again, this is straight from Gilligan's mouth, is that it's a show, it's an episode about characters in hell. You know, Jesse and Walt are both in their own hells. One is away, you know, stuck in the ice, far distant, far away from everything that he has wrought and uh, everything that he was attempting for, whereas Jesse is, you know, chained still right in the thick of it. You know, ultimately they kind of swap places at the end of the show with Jesse being able to escape and he can go to New Hampshire if he wants and, you know, Walt is forever staked right in the middle of that lab. Hmm. So that seeing those two characters in, in, in their own personal hells and, of course, Mark, uh, Robert Forster's, you know, brilliant kind of turn as this quiet, just the, one of the, these performances that's just so cold and yet friendly yeah. simultaneously that it, it's brilliant. But seeing Walt kind of go through that and then you reach the end of the episode where Walt is... This character is effectively dead, dying, done. And then that moment where the, sh- the show is effectively over and then you have an epilogue sparked by that, you know, the Charlie Rowe show, both A, the, the general, I think, you know, I don't think Walt was sprung to revenge by the, you know, his they denied him his involvement in Grey Matter. I think that is just largely a representation of what drives the character in general, just mm-hmm. that quest for recognition and everything. But I do think it is, at least partly, the the mention of the blue meth still being on the street and, and still being out there. That's what drives him. Yeah, you know, That's his empire, that's his legacy, and that's what sends him back. And the way they integrate the long-form... Uh, theme of the show into the the final moments with that shot of the whiskey glass where this this theme this plucking guitar or whatever uh that has so trained us to like a Pavlovian degree to expect the beginning of the show to to expect another hour of things to happen to to prime ourselves to 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 take on what's coming is placed at the end of a show as if to you know prime us for the that's the beginning of the end like the, the way that emotionally leaves us is, is just incredible. It's one of the, the most interesting sensations I've ever felt coming off an episode of television is is hearing those those guitar plucks over yeah. that, that image of the, the whiskey glass. And then you just get this slow, mournful, interesting release. And what that does for me is instead of in this post-Sopranos, post-Lost world, where the way in which you even Harry Potter the way in which you end a pop culture phenomenon, you know, is largely the way it's remembered. What conversation of the Sopranos ever goes five more than five minutes without the the ending being mentioned? Or yeah. the entire reputation of Lost, you know, for many people, largely being tanked, you know, by by an ending that many didn't like and that has plagued, you know, its writers ever since. So and would you
1: say that we're you know, uh, to focus on how it ends.
0: It's possible. Mm -hmm. And with this ending, the way they chose to end it is to just largely wrap up the strands as people expected, merge these two visions of Walt, you know, the people, the show repudiates, you know, Team Walt and the people that feel he's ultimately an anti-hero and he's doing it all for his family. The show explicitly repudiates that from Walt's own mouth. While at the same time, he is not some evil monster that gets it in the back of the head in the worst way to punish him. He kinda gets to go out on his terms. So you kind of have those two strands meet in the middle. And that allows the show as a whole to, to just speak for itself the way a novel it does. It doesn't make the whole it doesn't make Breaking Bad about the last five minutes of Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad is now the whole show. It's from beginning to end. It's Mr. Yeah. Chips, it's Scarface and everything in between. Which, yeah,
1: it feels so complete, and the a light. lot of the,
0: a lot of shows haven't don't you know don't have that luxury. Even something mm-hmm. you know, I, I I think The Sopranos is the greatest show of all time. But you know, you like I said, you can't you can't have a conversation about it that's not about the ending. Well, Even I can't though, wait
1: to get to the ending. I'm as you know from Twitter, I'm finally watching it. Yeah, uh, that's true. Just got into season five. I am in love with this show so
0: much and I I had to, I I knew that you would be and even where you are you know there's still such amazing crazy things to come that have reverberated through narrative TV ever since including Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad is, you know, there are moments where you can tell it's it's aware of its post Soprano's, you know, existence, you know.
1: Yeah, we have a lot to think <laughs> from the Sopranos and uh, it's interesting, too, because, like, one of the chief complaints of Loss was like, oh, there were so many loose ends, there were so many unresolved storylines, and something as brilliant as The Sopranos has that, too, and uh, it doesn't bother me. Like, you know, when Paulie and Christopher are out in the woods and we don't find out what happens to the Russian, that doesn't bother me. I think it's actually really great in, like, a almost like a Coen Brothers kind of moment of, like, you know, not ha- leaving it ambiguous, but still tying up the entire uh, dramatic conflict between the two of them. I think I think that that episode is very self-contained and really fascinating um, from a philosophical standpoint too. I, and uh, strangely enough, Steve Buscemi directed that episode.
0: He did brilliantly. Yeah, yeah, I mean, The Sopranos is nothing if not a show about. About the, the grand sorrows of life. And mm-hmm. one of those is that we do not get closure on most things. And uh, that is something David Chase just delighted in fucking with people and, you know, doing throughout the entire show and, of course, through the ending. Which, uh, you know, I don't know how, you know, what you know about where the show goes and everything. I, you know, I can't I can imagine you're, you're completely.
1: I do know uh, the very last moment of the entire series because how can you not if you're studying pop culture and seeing parodies and things like that or commentary about it um so i mean i know it involves a journey song and i know it fades to black uh i don't know the context behind it yet though
0: oh sir you do not get the luxury of a fade oh really uh, oh you'll see but uh you know and that's what strikes, that's another thing that's so different from Breaking Bad for almost any other show on television is that it manages to be literary and engage with just this beautiful subtext and this layered, complex character development, but it is the most one of the most propulsive, you know, just chewy plot shows ever put on television. It just every scene just grabs you and hooks you like, you're going down a conveyor belt. Like, you mm-hmm. just can't stop. You're just, you eat the show up, which is why it's been so successful, you know, I think on, in the, the post-time shift television paradigm that we're in, where people can just eat this show up, as opposed to a show like Mad Men or The Sopranos, where you're, you're more luxuriating in it. And in Breaking Bad, so much of that subtext and the, and the character development is reflected directly in plot. And uh, I think that's manifested yeah. in people... I don't know, you know, I've kind of followed, you know, the Chud has a great discussion thread of Breaking Bad and also Reddit, uh, the, the subreddit for Breaking mm. Bad this last season. And just the, 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 the amount of foreshadowing and imagery and reflective mirrored imagery and things that people have picked out of this show is just stunning. Uh, even, even if you account for half of it not being intended... Uh, the other half that is or the half that just happened because these people are brilliant, uh, you know, it, it's crazy. You know, the, the, the images that reflect on one another and the way that scenes unfold in the same way. Uh, you know, my favorite might be in the the finale with Skyler, that scene with Skyler yeah. uh, with the FBI or DEA is shot cut and presented in precisely the same manner as Walt. Finding out about his cancer, you know, long droning, piercing noise, slow motion, person talking, and then snap out of it, blurt out the the cold version of the situation.
1: Oh like, yeah, nice parallel there. Yeah,
0: yeah. and it, there's stuff like that. So just all throughout the show, just top to bottom, you know, there there's stuff all throughout that does that. You know, the, and the beautiful directing choices of you know people like Ryan Johnson and um, uh, if I get her name right, Michelle. Mc- McLaren. Or? Yeah,
1: she's she's phenomenal.
0: Yeah, just she's brilliant. Part TV of some
1: of the best shows, best absolutely. episodes. Yeah, I, you know, it's and it's kind of great, you know, for the finale to see, almost you know, Walt realizing that he cannot engineer everything. He, he you know, he cannot get his family to love him again. He cannot get, you know, the money to Walt Jr. directly uh you know i you know, he gets, he used to see holly one last time but it, you know he doesn't necessarily get any sort of forgiveness from skylar um and I, I don't know it's like despite all the despicable things he's done this last episode allow you to empathize with him again because you know he he fucked up he admits it you know he he's almost come to terms with the fact that you know, shit's gonna go down and he has to accept his fate. And, you know, I think for him to go out in that moment of glory and, you know, sort of, uh, not necessarily have like this, you know, big catharsis, but just, to, you know what, he ends in silence, he's alone, and, you know, a bullet ricocheted from his own contraption. Like, he, you're right, he did go out in his own terms, and, you know, for a while there I was thinking, well, he knows he has cancer. He's the type of control freak to where maybe he's gonna take the rice in himself and just say, Guess what? This is this I this is what I have to do and I can't let anybody else come at me. This is I'm gonna choose to end my life on my own terms. But uh, I think you know, the way it ended it was completely satisfying and I I was Kind of beside myself, much, you know. Pretty much for the last three episodes, I I was constantly getting goosebumps. And you're right, like the uh, the, the final moment of Granite State, it was just like it, it did. It did definitely set you up for like, okay, here comes Heisenberg, and he's going to go kick some ass, you know. And then what right. do we what do we see in the next moment? He's like sitting in the car and almost praying. Completely
0: isolated, coated in snow, yeah, yeah. praying to whatever god or force or you know meth deity Mm -hmm. the keys that descend from above and yeah just really really interesting way they they in the way that those two episodes are so much separated or 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 tonally different from everything else in the show
1: yeah i think that surprised a lot of people who were expecting a lot more action for the finale
0: and what's brilliant about it to me is that, you know, this is a show that largely gained its popularity through Netflix. You know, probably a vast majority of people that have watched this show have watched most of it in a short span of time. Mm -hmm. And it is a show that will live on in that manner. So I think even people who may not like the way things ended up, I would be willing to bet that a large portion of them, when they restart the show and watch it as one cohesive linear experience with that understanding of where things went and thus that ability to kind of unpack it as you go. Uh, you know, I think they might end up being a lot more satisfied with Mm -hmm. it as a whole.
1: Yeah. And it's a show that progressed more and more, uh, whether if it's, you know, based on budget or not, I, I, I don't think like I watched the pilot and there were certainly like questionable, uh, Um, kind of like musical choices that seem kind of at odds to what we're used to from the uh, composer and the music supervisor who, man, like by season four and five, I was just always impressed with the sound design and the score and just the music choices that fit so perfectly, even if sometimes they were right on the nose, even with just as like uh, the lyrics, like the scene where he's rolling down the barrel Mm -hmm. that's just, I just, you know, I smile and I kind of go, it fits so perfectly. How does, you know, the the creators of this show just manage to do this almost effortlessly? Uh, And, you know, the framing, the the point of view shots, the lighting, just everything is incredibly cinematic in its visual storytelling. And, like I said, in a Coen Brothers kind of way.
0: Uh, You really can kind of chalk that up, I think you know, a lot more credit should be laid at Michael Slovis's feet than, than mm. perhaps are, because there, I mean, there's no other human being that was present for as many, as much of the show being shot as, as him. Right. You know, he shot every episode after the second season, so more than Vince Gilligan, more than Brian Cranston, more than Gould or Johnson or any of these guys, he was there every day. And uh, his work, the sophistication of his photography and the the, just the calculated way in which they would use you know I've read an interview where he talked about those p o v shots and those weird GoPro things they would do, and how you know every director that would take on an episode would want to do two dozen of them and, and you know it became a matter of choosing when you did that to have maximum impact and really pulling back from it you know as tempting as as it is to strap a GoPro to you know every little thing mm-hmm. and you know the way they shot uh the cooks, like, you know, that, if there's anything I really miss in, uh, you know, the lot that kind of falls out of the show by necessity, it's those meth cooks and the way they kind of symphonically constructed those sequences and, yeah. you know, the music and the beauty, uh, but there's enough, you know, there's enough of that throughout the show, but, you know, yeah, I, I really think he gets a lot of credit for just perfectly getting what, Vince Gilligan was going for and bringing his own, and their sense their western sensibility, that yeah. that very subtle, layered, western, you know, old school sensibility, which is yeah that i was my father uh played as a big Marty Robbins fan, so El Paso is oh, you know, nice. probably in the top five songs I've heard most in my life, at least you know, through when I was a kid. So, when I saw that the last episode was named Felina, I kind of subconsciously expected that song to show up. <laughs> and then for it to show up the way it does, for it to be cut off by the intro theme the way it is, you know, in that, you know, again, that's almost a Sopranosian thing. Yeah, you know, I noticed maybe you'll, that so maybe much. You'll agree. The just sopranos. the way they kind of just coldly cut it off. But, yeah. you know, if you go and you listen to that song and listen to the lyrics and just, you know, imagine the guy singing about, uh, felina as meth and cooking meth you know the song is effectively the whole show like breaking bad el paso is the story of breaking bad in a very reduced way if you go look at the the full lyrics of it and and the the strange tone of the song and even the fact that like the last two lines of that song are ambiguous over you know whether they actually occurred or not and you know the same way with uh breaking bad the last two episodes if I don't believe they're ambiguous at all, but they're, they're detached and they're more spiritual in Mm -hmm. a weird way.
1: Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm, I've constantly just like, you know, this is one of those shows too, that thankfully everyone I've introduced it to going back from when I want to say the end of season two and definitely the beginning of season three is when I was like watching it while it aired and I was dedicating, you know, or you know, working around my schedule to make sure I was there to see it as it unfolded, and uh, there's there's some highlights throughout the entire series. You know, it would probably take a whole another hour long episode to just like say you know specifically. Well, what are your top five moments, and let's talk about them at length. But you know, quickly like you know, Gus Fring, one of the greatest villains ever, for sure. Um, you know, even that. God, the the box cutter episode with his completely silent <laughs> performance as he's going down to intimidate Walt and Jesse and take care of business. Uh, that is just one of the most chilling things I've ever seen on TV. Uh, uh, going all the way back to the uh, bathtub collapsing, <laughs> uh, the, uh, you know, like the raspberry goo <laughs> of... of flesh yeah. uh that's something i found completely shocking for a, a tv series um and you know the the one of the biggest moments too for me that made me fall in love with the show even more was the uh shootout in the parking lot with hank and the uh um Ooh. i forgot their names yeah. but <laughs> I, I believe uh, that's that is is hardcore me- television yeah yeah no kidding. That was, and I believe Michelle McLaurin shot that episode. She's she yes. shot some of the more intense action sequences on the show, so she deserves an Emmy, if not all the praise in the world. Um, and it'll be interesting to see uh, um, co-writer Peter Gould's take on a Saul spinoff. I I, w- I welcome that with open arms because what a great source of comic relief
0: um as long as they've got a uh, bill burr and lavelle crawford <laughs> <Q> and cool <laughs> yeah Hull, uh, you know i'm i'm all kinds of down i you know and Odenkirk kirk is such a just a fucking amazing human being that of any course. anything that happens to him that's good i'm all for and uh you know i think no matter what its relationship with breaking bad which i hope is minimal mm-hmm. uh you know it's it's going to be worth it just to see bob odenkirk every week
1: yeah and uh one of the one of the more emotional moments for me is uh um Jesse telling the story of um the dog that he had to put down when he's sitting in group um that's that's when Aaron Paul just you know i mean i think he's like the if you watch the pilot he's totally like jason mews practically <laughs> you yeah. know you know it's it's more of a caricature you know, they weren't sure exactly where they're going to go with him, and I, I can tell that right off the bat, but wow, did that character evolve? Did Aaron Paul just become more and more confident? And that particular scene where he's saying, like, you know, if you just do stuff and nothing happens, what's it all mean? What's the point? Should I stop judging and accept? And no matter what I do, hooray for me because I'm a great guy? You know, like, all that you know, he almost has too much self-awareness and questioning everything that he's done and what it means to be a good person. No matter how many dogs I kill, I just, or do an inventory and accept? (laughs) I mean, you back your truck over your own kid and you, like, accept? What a load of crap. Hey, Jesse. I know you're in pain. No, you, you, you know what? Why I'm here in the first place is to sell you meth. You're nothing to me but
0: customers. I made you my bitch. You okay with that?
1: Is there hope for redemption? I... I... I just hope that you know it was going to be a happy ending for Jesse because he's, you know, he grew into the, the soul of the show for me. And um, I mean, we can briefly touch upon Skylar too because I think she deserves some credit. Because um, I s- still am baffled by that weird internet backlash. I mean, I guess I shouldn't be at this point. All I have to do is go on yeah. YouTube and read comments to any
0: video at this point, but. There is no depth to which, you know, some segment will sink. But, I, you know, it is it is reflective of, of. I think it ties in to, you know, there. I read a pretty wonderful editorial about uh, Breaking Bad as the end of the anti-hero. And mm. it's, you know, it's this reflection on this trope that has become so prevalent, again, post-Sopranos. Tony Soprano was kind of the, you know prototypical and then you know the shield and uh you know lost a little bit but not so much but you know everything seems to fit within that model uh even you know even new shows like low winter sun and you know every cop show ray donovan and you know it's all about the the tortured anti-heroic male and you know the idea that breaking bad is kind of uh the the deconstruction of that and really Mm. strips it bare and you know Every woman from Carmella Soprano to uh, Betty Draper seems to get these these heapings of shit from people who just watch these shows as if they're, you know, cool adventure stories with fun and antiheroes when, you know, that's not what the shows are intended to be in, in their soul. And, you know, just the most immature surface level reading of it is, yeah, fuck Skylar, you know, she doesn't appreciate it, but, you know... You know, even the show—that's that, what I, I love—that the show had the balls to kind of, again, explicitly repudiate that with the call to Walt yeah. and how ugly that moment is, and how you know, sad he even is to say it, even if he kind of means some of it, and you know that the 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 show it consciously rejects you know a lot of that interpretation, but it is disturbing that you know people are so. Unself-aware and have such subtle, quiet—not even outrageous—just that quiet sort of, you know, misogyny embedded into the the way we take in media. That you know, a show like this, it you know, when that contrast is so huge between the the hero of the show who is also doing awful things and the person that is first to react or have a complex relationship with it is, you know, a female you know, wife character. And, uh, yeah, they caught a weird weird batch of backlash.
1: Yeah, I... It's baffling to me because, you know, uh, Gilligan respects his characters to make them all flawed, and, you know, you can side with them at some moments and, side, and not side with them at all in other moments, and Skylar fits that too. I, I you know, I, 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 I was tempted to go like, well, yeah, it's all this reaction is based on misogyny or like a misplaced male ego <laughs> that feels threatened or instantly reactionary towards Skylar because she is not always complacent, you know. And that's that drives me insane to think, you know. First of all, that is their interpretation of. How a woman, you know, should be to her husband, and secondly, it's it's a TV character. Calm down. I mean, I know we get really passionate and you know invested so much, but to like actually, you know, attack and come up with a Facebook group that says, you know, or uh, Skylar should die, or even threatening and a gun was just like a complete overreaction to to you know. A, a TV character, and I think the best thing about the show is that um, it sort of bypasses that objective morality. You know, it 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 showcases you know uh, ethical subjectivism. Um, actions that might feel right to one person who lacks self awareness, you know, are completely wrong no matter what justification they come up with. And Skylar is, you know, like it said explicitly in the show; she's just as guilty. In some cases, for going along with him, but she had self-awareness more than he did too, and I think um, you know overall, like she, again, she sort of starts out as a you know a, a lesser character more or less. She's not given as much to do, but you know as she finally realizes what he's been doing and she starts playing a role and starts to help him, uh, you know, with the money. I I think that is an interesting layer to her character,
0: that oh, she decides certainly. to go along with it. And um, especially, there's always going to be the difference that she is thrust into a situation she did not create. Mm-hmm. And she is attempting to pick up pieces that she did not shatter. And even, I don't know what you could consider her worst act, maybe, I guess, the things with Ted Benneke, you know, those, for one thing, they so pale in comparison to, to Walt. It's, you know, such accidental acts uh but you know she truly is almost as a counter to walt she truly is trying to to do everything she does for her family Mm -hmm. um all the more questionable stuff um and then the more personal things with walt you know i fucked ted and that kind of thing uh you know i don't know if you if you can't see where she's coming from on that kind of stuff i think that's just a a result of of placing yourself too much into to Walt, yeah. perhaps that you, you're not able to see the the exact same duality in a, in a different character because there there's no universe in which you know uh, her actions are more black and white than Walt's or aren't as deserving as much.
1: And you know, Skylar is not immune to that too. She's almost like absorbed the environment that she's been thrust into thanks to Walt. And it's you know it's it's kind of inevitable that you know she she knew that this is what Walt wanted to do. He said he had his best intentions to protect the family, but then what does she say at one point she has to protect the family from the man who protects the family yep. so I you know and there's some one of the more memorable moments too is you know Walt becoming Heisenberg right in front of her eyes by saying that he's the one who knocks um that to me you know and her reaction to that was like i need to figure out if i need to actually move away with with our with with her with our kids and everything and i think that was completely justified too um so yeah i i think we can get ready to wrap things up here and if you have any uh overall final thoughts on the show or the finale or it's an open forum go for it
0: well, I just honestly at this point I just want to congratulate anyone who has uh gone this whole way with us and, and yes. listened to, to two awesome dudes though we may be, uh, you know, drawn on about this show, which you know, I just think it, it again, uh the fact that it is so so much like a novel and so definitive and that you know, it's a show that had such you know, that gooey moment of violence. You mentioned and yet, have the, has these moments of grace with, uh, you know, Hank's recovery. Yeah. To has these layers of being a western, to being a crime movie, to to just the the sheer amount of elements uh, that this show and wove together into this tapestry. Uh, from where it started, from where it began, to what the pitch was, to what it ultimately explored. It's just so singular. I mean, I, 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 it's hard to think of a show that is more its own than Breaking Bad. You know, Sopranos is ultimately a gangster show. It's, mm-hmm. you know, Mad Men is ultimately, in a, you know, a drama about pop culture or whatever. You know, it, it's an adult drama. This is an action crime drama show that's Western-influenced, but dramatic, but a black comedy... It's so many different elements that you know. It's just you know. There, not only is there, will there never be anything like it. You know, I don't. There are so few things that are as distinct as it is, and that that's the greatest compliment I can give it. And I think probably the number one reason that it is just so infinitely compelling.
1: Yeah, Infi- infinitely compelling indeed. And eventually universally loved by everyone who caught up with it. And there's a reason for that. Uh, It's funny because, you know, my brain automatically wants to go into the psychology of Walter White and, you know, his decision to break bad. What is it based on? Is it because he was diagnosed with cancer and decides to throw caution to the wind? And is it, you know, action-based? Is it because he wants to make money? simple and true, as anybody else would in a crazy capitalist system. Um, But, you know, part of me also thinks outright. Um, It is like he became addicted to the feelings of um, transgression, superiority, uh, power and control. That is an instant rush of dopamine to the head. And you know, he had to keep that pattern going. He had to keep that fix. He had to figure out what new circumstance can he throw himself into to get that same rush over and over again. And it's not... You can sort of find a parallel to to the meth if you want to, but it's, it's you know, his addiction to being better than everyone else that seems to, you know, what has always kept him in the driver's seat. And I think... You know his self-justifications were just constantly like, uh, you know, anger-inducing. But at the same time, you want to cheer him on. And I think uh, someone in the New Yorker wrote, "This is a show that you crave
0: and dread." <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it- who 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 can identify with not with wanting to be not only the smartest guy in the room, which Walt typically is but known as the yeah. smartest guy in the room nobody wants to be that quiet graceful monk-like presence of wisdom and and accomplishment people want they want to be put on billboards and they they want people to know and i think that you know that's ultimately what drives walt more than anything
1: and what's and it's interesting is
0: ultimately the biggest punishment for him mm-hmm. is that you know his family who he claimed to do it for will never know you know, definitively what he managed to accomplish for them, you know, and what he did and how good he truly was at what he did. Yeah.
1: I Personally, I would would have been happy being a combination of Gale and Mike.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like, I... That would be an interesting combination of human beings.
1: It would. I, I just like the intensity, you know, the silent intensity that Mike had and this sort of like uh wide-eyed optimism uh you know even though he was doing something uh morally questionable like Gale was always on board and really excited to work with Walton learn from him and having that enthusiasm for his process um i can i can relate to that i never wanted to be like the center of attention but at the same time like i wouldn't mind working side by side with somebody like Uh, Walt, obviously not to that extent to probably be making meth, but, you know, just that admiration, I can understand that, and Gale was such a cool little character, (laughs) like, you know? I mean...
0: uh, Absolutely, and and ultimately the show has the greatest respect for those characters like Gale and Mike that had the perspective to see that being a cog, being that quiet part of the piece of the puzzle is what is sustainable, is how you can, you know, make a life out of something. And it's the people that, you know, need to be loud that fuck everything up.
1: Yeah, and who would have known that Gale would ultimately be the, the I guess, the source of, uh, you know, Walt's undoing, so to speak, because, you know, he wrote those initials in that Walt Whitman book, and Hank found it while taking a shit, and there you go. That's That'd causality.
0: Uh, you know, if there's anything that speaks to the show's subtle humor of the <laughs> most important, single, by far single, most important realization moment on the show, and if you wanted to, you could, you know, put a shit noise over it and it would fit perfectly. You know, a guy on the toilet.
1: Yeah, you could put the uh, the sound from uh, Dumb and Dumber, Jeff Daniels and Dumb and Dumber yep. over that and have uh, have a laugh. Well as we've uh journeyed into uh walt's heart of darkness i'm so glad that there was uh some light at the end of the tunnel for the ending of this show it, it felt completely perfect um and the use of that Badfinger song i mean like goosebumps man seriously like i i knew it was gonna have to end that way i was accepting of it and i also thought it was just perfect in every way
0: well i know i've listened to it a couple times since and uh when it kind of kicks in, it makes me feel feelings. Yeah. So I, I know somebody did something right.
1: Props to Vince Gilligan. Um, I, I envy the guy, but I also, like, wouldn't want to be him at this point because, boy, are those expectations going to be through the roof Ooh. for what he does next.
0: Yeah. Oh, no, no doubt.
1: Well, Ren, I, I'm... Again, I'm very happy to have you uh, back on the show. We'll have to do this again sometime. Uh, You've got to look at the calendar and see what director tickles your fancy in the future. I
0: will do that right away and, cool. and grab one. I, I always love coming on. I appreciate it. You know, obviously, uh, Patrick was missed, but uh, I, I enjoyed the fabulous conversation we, we had.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing his thoughts. Uh, he was a little bit more critical um, about the uh, season four finale, and I mean, we could have touched upon, like, the the logistics of, you know, how Walt managed to poison Brock and all that, but I I felt like we covered that at length on that last bonus episode, but, uh, you know, it was an interesting point of contention. I think it's worth dissecting um, further, but at the same time, I, you know, we covered pretty much everything I Thought we should cover about one of the greatest shows of all time, and it's probably always going to be my personal favorite. But I'm yet to get through the entirety of The Sopranos, and it's pretty damn close.
0: I can't wait till you do. And if you ever want to do, you know, a ra- uh, episode reflecting on that series, you know, give me a ring.
1: Well, Patrick and I were talking about it, so maybe uh, that'd be a nice that'd be a nice Christmas present, wouldn't it?
0: For yeah, I, I, any yeah anything. Anything involving that show, I will jump off a bridge for. So,
1: <laughs> Well, where can we uh, find more of your work and find you online and all that good stuff?
0: Well, you can find my blabbering on Twitter, at Ren Brown, R-E-N-N-B-R-O-W-N. Um, and uh, all my writing is uh, at chud.com, C-H-U-D. Uh, most recently, I had an awesome interview with Mike Massimino, who's an astronaut, talking about gravity, view gravity, that kind of stuff. So, doing cool things here and there.
1: I'm guessing gravity is the film to see right now.
0: Uh, Yeah, I mean, they're short term 12, and I hear uh, ACOD is really good, but yeah, I mean, there is no experience you're going to have in a theater in your life, maybe, quite like gravity. Can't wait. You're gonna love it, I think. I, I think so too. Fingers well, crossed.
1: Everyone who said that I was was gonna love short turn twelve was absolutely right.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's that's a really great movie that people need to catch up on if they yeah. if they haven't.
1: Well, of course, you can visit us at DirectorsClubPodcast.com and send us an email at DirectorsClubPodcast at gmail.com and uh, find me over at letterbox at Instant Gym and Twitter at Instant Gym.
0: Out in the West Texas town of El Paso I fell in love with a Mexican girl Nighttime would find me in Rose's Cantina Music would play and food I said, "Fuck you and your eyebrows." You got me. Yeah, Mister White. Yes, science.
1: Hello, ma'am. We were called about a disturbance. You you called the cops on Dad?